Hello and welcome to the fourth Sunday of Advent on the St. George's Rod and Staff podcast, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martin in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's, where my co-host, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman, will be tomorrow on Sunday, when you're listening to this, actually. So it's today, kind of. I'm Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of crisis, and I have been alive as long as the Archdeacon has been a deacon. Congratulations on your <laughs> anniversary <laughs> of service, sir. Uh, how are you doing? Good day to you, Lindsay. I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks for the congratulations. Much appreciated. Um, I trust you are doing well. Uh, yes, I come off a very, very busy, compressed week um, that, uh, as you know, end of year things when you're trying to rush and get everything together tempers run high so i ran afoul of my manager's temper i apologize to you um if i responded in a in an unprofessional way <laughs> but then be the breaks man publishing is all about deadlines and managing uh, the tempers around that time please let this be a lesson to everybody that you know just a little bit of patience um when you're with your family over this festive period like it's been it's been a rough couple of years. Everybody is coming in with a different energy, different experience. Um, just a little bit of patience, um, just a little bit of thought before responding to heated situations. Um, and with that, let us I'm not going to address. Actually, I am going to address this. Your theme comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. So we're not even going to go there. <laughs> but then your quotes. Also, so I already had like my backup, and then I go into the quotes, and, and what is the one here? God will save whomever he chooses to save. And then like the other one is like, the gospel is the only good news there is. And then like the gospel isn't supposed to be comfortable. So this one I, I can drive with. The gospel isn't supposed to be comfortable, for it points back to a cross. It upends all our paradigms and pushes us beyond the confines of self-interest to pour ourselves out for others. Jesus' gospel brings salt and light to a tasteless dark world. But I'm going to get straight into the Isaiah passage. Um, so the fourth candle on the Advent wreath is the candle of love. Um, and obviously we are at the end of our 16 days of activism um, against uh, gender-based violence or all forms of violence against women and children. Um, and... Like love is is also celebrated over this period because it's peak wedding season. Um, I attended a wedding on on Thursday evening um, to one of my one of my best and closest friends. Um, his second wedding. Um, I missed the first one because of the birth of my own child <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> so I made a, a a big effort to be at the second one at least. Uh, yeah, love is one of those those weird things because I was explaining it to my daughter one day where I wanted her to go on a thought experiment or at least to, to do a thought experiment about whether love is a verb um, because love is an abstract concept that humans have kind of, people have kind of owned and turned into like this wild thing. What is your, as someone who administers many things with this, what, 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 what is your understanding of love, and how has that changed over time? Ooh, wow, that's a that's a what's his name thing. I think I think the very first thing is love is, is the, the, the depending on the context you use it because I also come with a little bit of understanding that in the Greek world, mm -hmm. uh, which influenced the writing of the New Testament, um, there are at least four words um, that uh, exp explain love. Yeah. And yeah. that, and then so in the, in the, in the four words, depending on the context that you are reading uh, or listening to it, um, and of course, the main one that, as Christians, we embrace it all. But the main one we embrace would be agape, which is the love of God, um, and perhaps love for God. 
uh, mm. coming from mm. our human perspective. So given that, it 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 um it's a mystery because look, I think many of us, if not all of us, so the first thing I want to say, love is mystery. We 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 cannot just you know say this is what it is because it's mystery. We and it, it's interesting that I used. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 18, when I did two house blessings on Thursday. Mm. And uh, that that is a text given for house blessings. And the very first line says, verse 9, let love be, be genuine. So if you, if, is that an action? Is that the attitude that I have towards you? Uh, in which I, I I love you and therefore respect will show the way I speak to you, the way I listen. You know, one of the key things to express love is not to speak, but to appreciate who the other person is mm. and to do so. We listen, we take in who the other person is and we appreciate who they are, we celebrate who they are. Um, and then we begin also to recognize how their lives, uh, not 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 just the verbal things we're hearing, but their whole lives gives meaning and even shape to my own life. Mm. Um, and so I have this connection with the, the person. So therefore, I will do acts of love. I will express love verbally. Um, and then, you know, doing acts of love, showing how much I appreciate the person. Um, and then I just want to 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 con- conclude with that is, um, you know, I think I grew up with with that text, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that He gave. So love is a giving action, and you give the best, His only Son. And the purpose of loving is redemptive, not judgmental. Mm. It's to understand where the person is, where they're coming from, why they are where they are, and assisting them from where they are to uh, to bring them to the, a better place in their lives. So, so now when we put that all into marriage, I think the attraction of the person whom you are you know, your feeling of attraction grows into your deep, because the attraction says, I, I want to know you. So mm-hmm. love is getting to know the other person, um, being present to the other person, making oneself available to the other person in unselfish ways. Um, it still remains a mystery. We can We enter into it, but we've got to allow it to lead us. Um, the understanding, the expressions of love that are already available. You know, when you when you when you recognize the beauty of nature, you just drawn to it. Um, I just love your flower patch or whatever it is. Mm. Or expressions we have out there. There are children so, listening, Father. <laughs> there are children listening. <laughs> <laughs> They also have to learn at some point. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, going through the, the the Greek forms of love, which is eros, the romantic love, philia, the brotherly love, agape, God's divine love or unconditional love. So agape always gets described as the divine towards the mortal. Um, but you are positing that it's a it's a reciprocal kind of relationship. Uh, so it's I also, certainly believe that also yeah. reflect. I, yeah. Yeah. I think if I use the old language, love begets love. Mm. 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 Yes, I, I, I can jive with that. Uh, but then, like, obviously, when you talk about love and then you go into the, the gospel passage, which is Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 25, which kind of looks at joseph's relationship to mary and how he was like this this really sensitive guy um he was gonna let her off gently after she now 
now fell pregnant before they could solidify their union. And then what? what there's this one line that really jumps out at me that I've never actually looked at before. Um, Joseph awoke, wait, no. But had no, that's it's, it's verse 25, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and named him Jesus. Um, so this guy is like, he, uh, the young kids will call him a simp. Um, and please do your own research on the term simp. I, I don't think it's appropriate to explain it um, in its full in its full uh, capacity with, with within the, the confines of, of of quite a conservative podcast. <laughs> um, and so he now takes on all these burdens, and 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 I appreciate this. I, I really appreciate this um, characterization of of Joseph where he now he obviously adores this woman he's betrothed to uh because remember there was not much time for like romance back in those days it was like there's a a suitable husband woman you will be we will make a transaction and you will marry this person and that's that's like your vibe you don't you don't get to choose you didn't get to choose as a woman uh back in the day and men were also artificially limited in their in their selection um, by uh, their own standing within the community, uh, their own economic standing and all of those kinds of things. So years like this, this humble carpenter dude um, has this woman that he's now going to marry. So he's quite stoked with himself. Uh, she seems like like quite a, a catch um, among probably, he didn't have the, the biggest dating pool. Um, Let's let's just be honest. But he's still is sensitive enough to like, okay, fine, she's now made this mistake. Um, and let's be realistic. Uh this story was written after the fact. The story, as I started talking last week, um is a fantastical imagining of the origin of this messianic figure, you know. This is like this is like fanboys just like fanboying out and just writing an amazing story of a virgin conception. But since we're being realistic and we've now sketched out the whole scene of what happened there. So Mary 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 made a poor decision. And Mary's now pregnant, not by Joseph. And Joseph is like, cool, I'm gonna let you down gently. Um, we're not going to make a public scene about this. We don't want you to like get stoned and stuff. And you know, I care about you. Let's let's sort this out. And then he he said to have this encounter, this dream, the encounter with the angel that heralds back to the Isaiah passage, um, which is Isaiah chapter seven verses ten to sixteen. So it starts off, the Lord sent another message to Ahaz. Let the Lord your God give you a sign. It can be from deep in the world of the dead or from up high in heaven. And he was like, I will not ask for a sign, but I refuse I refuse to put the Lord to test. It's like, big up to you, Ahaz. To that, Isaiah replied, listen now, descendants of King David, it's bad enough for you to wear out the patience of people. Do you have to wear out the God's patience too. Well, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. A young woman who is pregnant will have a son and will name him Emmanuel. Uh, by the time he's old enough to make his own decisions, people will be drinking milk and eating honey. Um, even before that time comes, the lands of those two kings who terrify you will be deserted. So this is like generations before Jesus. And so Bringing it back to the moment where Joseph was having his dream, this is now the fulfillment of like the prophecy. Um, he gets told what to name Jesus, and and then he goes forth and he fulfills his duty within this. Uh, in today's context, especially with the focus on gender-based violence, there is still this tribal mentality this old world mentality of betrothals and a man's ownership of a woman's life. Is it helpful 
to deliver gospels and preachings around the betrothal transactional relationship that Joseph and Mary had entered into. Like, where, where, where is the lesson that we can turn the tide of like this really chauvinistic, toxic masculinity idea of, of the transactional relationship of marriage? It's very, very interesting. Um, we, we, read, we read the story um, focusing on, you know, if you words like betrothal mm. takes us back to whence the story cometh from. And in his terms of trying to contextualize what the cultural norms were that were playing itself off, how it affected and um, how it affects the story, how it's utilized in the story, um, and what meaning it would bring. So it's, it's good to go back to try and understand uh, who Jesus is in the light of uh, a concept such as betrothal, a cultural thing such as betrothal. Mm. Um, uh, and I, I just, in fact, uh, was had interviewed a couple recently where, um, you know, the, 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 the culture came in. Um, now, when you think of the, the so-called the so colored culture and mm. weddings and marriages and so on, and you think um, of the, you know, now I won't say that it's not an indigenous culture. I'm sure it is, yeah. but it's mixed with so many other things of uh, westernized uh, values. Mm. And then also, and westernized westernized values also came in when um, this text was read those many years ago, yeah. uh, when yeah. people infiltrated this nation and country with the, the idea of a, of the gospel. It from with cultural mindsets involved. So now you go back to the indigenous, indigenized um, um, communities here, betrothal would make a lot of sense to them because they had cultural systems that almost was the same. And so, but now in the modern day, many of them individually, I would say, moved away from, you know, being subservient to a a culture that seems to have had its uh, due date long already in some people's minds, mm. um, and hence um, would now, when there's a, a coming together of people with different cultural norms, um, what what practices are still adhered to? So we need to understand uh, the whole concept of 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 betrothal. We need to understand it. whether we propagate it as the biblical norm, therefore we should be doing what the Bible tells us to do mm. is a different yeah. thing. Because the question I keep asking myself about every text that I read, every every um, part of the, the documentation of the Bible is what did God intend for this? How did God intend for this particular passage or this particular story? How does it become good news to modern man? Mm. Um, what is in it that will, will help us? Now, was the form of betrothal to create order? Or was it to create control? Mm. Um, and um, was Mary coerced into this marriage? Because there is a, uh, um, a tradition that says Joseph was a much older person. Mm. And we're talking here about a 14, 15-year-old teenage young lady. Um, uh, what in, in a modern mind, a 14, 15 year old teenager should not even be considered as a, um, a marriage material. Yeah. However, yeah. there are cultures in our current world that still exist where that is practiced. Mm. Um, do we therefore look upon these things as outdated and therefore has to change, or does it still bring meaning to people's lives? Mm. Um, you know, certain individuals who think outside of the box and not cloned in their colonial mindset um, who recognize this other influence that 
influences around the globe that makes more sense to them than what is in their culture mm. would either move away from the culture or um, rebel continuously. So we have to understand because it's part of the context that we're reading. Mm. Question, of mm. course, is do I, there are people who would, and it's interesting how people make certain things, certain things from the Bible, uh, a biblical norm, therefore it must be the norm of society. Yeah. Um, and choose not to do so with other stuff um, because it doesn't pan into their message. But what message are we? This is not my message. It's yeah. an inspired message coming to me that I have to. This, this is the thing that we read when we do Bible, um, we do the blessings of homes. We say, after reading the scriptures, bless Lord, you cause, the word is used, caused all all scripture to be written for our learning. Mm. So teach us how to read, mark, and inwardly digest them. Mm. So, so that's the premise from which I, I mean, I, I got new inspiration having, having prayed that prayer in these two homes I just did recently. So I think, but we, we, I, I would not, you know, when, 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 when growing up, in the in the church, let's put it like that. I don't think the word betrothal, which is not necessarily the same as engagement, was was a norm pressed down on me. Mm. Neither was engagement. I, you know, when I when I got married, um, I didn't go and ask my father-in-law and my mother-in-law to get engaged to Trudy. Ooh. Somebody else gave me wisdom and said, go and ask to be married. If they say yes to the marriage, then you get engaged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that you you completely subverted my expectations there. <laughs> I thought we were going to get into a very controversial uh, situation because even with with my own in, engagement, um, I was accused of not doing it the correct way because uh, I was in Johannesburg, and and my wife was my now wife um, then girlfriend was up there for for a wine show. Um, and it was in that week that I kind of realized um, that uh, I think we had dinner the first night. And I had, no, 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 it was before she arrived. And it was my excitement um, to see her that made me realize I wanted this person in my life, that feeling of excitement to be in my life on a full time basis. And the only way to then bridge kind of the, the distance, um, the physical distance between us would be then to to formalize the, <laughs> the relationship as, as as a marriage. So obviously I then phoned um, my now in-laws and apparently this was was against. I had to like ask permission, you know, in person and stuff. And I'm. If you haven't realized over the couple of years that you've been listening to, I'm quite a revolutionary thinker. <laughs> I'm an unconventional yeah. kind of person. So yes, uh, I was I was more than happy to um, uh, to receive that criticism and to still carry on with with because uh, ultimately it it is the woman's choice. This idea of having to prostrate yourself to a father figure is very harmful, actually. And I'm sorry to like bring such a hard tone on it now, uh, but it's those little psychological barriers that still exist. Um, there's these made up customs that encourage future oppression of women. If I was of the mindset that there was a correct, and I'm making inverted commas, way of asking a woman to spend her life with me or to commit, to combine her life with me for whatever long period, I mean, divorce happens relationships break down, you should have the freedom to get out of an arrangement at any time. Let's just make that clear. Um, 
And I pass that cultural expectation down to my son. I'm not breaking the cycle of oppression. I'm encouraging it. And it's those little moments um, that people don't actually put enough emphasis on. And we've gone through, well, I don't even know how many 16 days of activism we just completed now, um, our how many is time. And the, the key message is still focused around the end problem, which is abuse, murder, violence. Where we should at this point be looking at all the microaggressions that add up to those major like news agenda points. And I think, and I'm thinking, you are with me in my thought process right now, that like those kinds of cultural practices where you're taking the agency, you're taking someone's personal agency away from them and you're putting it in the hands of their father. I, I think we need to stop that. We really need to stop. I, I actually, uh, it's a very interesting thing um, that that you say that because on my in my in my rehearsals with the couple getting married, uh, uh, traditional norms come into play. Mm. Why, for example, does the bride hook her father in on his left arm? Mm. Uh, and come down the aisle. Why? Why does the bridegroom sit on the left and not on the right? Um, uh, are are those things that are fixed? We were were were. And, and I mean, if you, if you look at the order of the service, the liturgy, um, when you when we bring when the bride comes to the front, and at the chancel chancel step. At the sanctuary, um, it is only after the consenting part of both parties, plus the representatives of the family being the parents in most mm. cases, that the parents step back or step out of the, the scene uh, into the background. Mm. Um, so, the, so the groom doesn't go up to the middle of the aisle to receive the bride because consenting hasn't happened in a formalized way, yeah. such yeah. as, you know, who gives this man and woman to be married to each other. So we, we are caught up in it. And unfortunately, these things become gospel. For example, one, one, one lay minister who served longer um, just before the service noticed that one of the newer lay ministers, a lady, had had, had, had put on uh, sandals with a high heel and open toes. Mm. She had on a clo closed toe um, sandal mm. and she criticized this young lady <laughs> for, 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 for wearing, wearing this going into the sanctuary. And I said to her, to the older one or person, I said, "Who told you that we shouldn't? We should wear closed toes, yeah. uh, sandals." Um, now it's it's. I said, "Is it some white priest who came here because he couldn't handle the sexy toes of our?" <laughs> um, so is it is it, it? Did these things become gospel? Did the culture become gospel? simply because people thought these things were distracting to worship. Now, do, do we think that worshiping God does not come with distractions? Mm. When I'm when I'm worshiping God, how many thoughts flood through my mind? My eyes capture people's dress, their hair and all that. And I've got to just keep focus and say, yes, I acknowledge I've seen uh, that Lindsay's got a haircut. Uh, today, but but I must then work through those distractions. Mm. But why do they become normal? They they unquestionable as we go along. And th this is this is part of my 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 problem in that. And I said this much earlier in our conversation. Do do these norms become a form of of of, of holding control over people, mm. or is it supposed to set us free? 
when I read the, the prayer that is, that is prayed, the collect for marriage service, it starts by saying, Heavenly Father, you enable your son Jesus, you send your son Jesus to teach us um, that love is the fulfilling of the law. Um, now, we all know that the, the law that Jesus came to sum up is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, mm. and mm -hmm. love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. So was, was, was loving a person supposed to be, uh, in terms of, 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 of the fulfillment of the, in terms of creating order in the relationship, mm. is to help create a, not a, not not a, a, a legalistic order that that binds people, but that is free flowing in relationship and respect, mm -hmm. um, and and then addresses you see that issue that we only think of of of, of gender based violence in the extremes, yeah. whereas yeah. gender based violence is in the is more vocal because that's where it starts out when we print into the weaker person uh, or the younger person a sense that I am in control because I know more than you. And so we denigrate that person into a state of ignorance and stupidity and we will. Now that's breaking this whole thing that we say Jesus taught us. Love is the fulfilling of the law. What is the purpose of the law is to create order within the relationship it's to it's to eliminate those things that would cause disorder yeah so yeah. so now when we look at these things that be, become norm you suddenly start questioning it i remembered having a debate with somebody after i was it was brought to my attention one priest who worked with me said to a lay minister you can't pour um uh wine that was that was reserved the week ago into the chalice with new wine that has just been consecrated. Oh wow. So then I couldn't understand the understanding about this, and this poor lady was trapped yes. because the priest had said to her this. Wow. So what had happened? Does the priest understand the economics of now? So now, so now I, I, I said to her, don't worry, I'm going to find out because I don't even know what that meant. Mm. So when I went to speak to the priest, I said, brother, let me understand what it is that you meant when you said this. I first checked the detail with him and he said, yes, it did happen. So I asked him, so why did you tell, her that, tell this person this while mm. you were serving communion and you saw the person doing this? So he said, now the priest I used to work with said that I can't do it like that. I said, okay, fine. I understand that. But can you help me understand why is, what he said was the rationale behind this? Mm. Now, isn't this interesting? He couldn't give me a rationale, mm -hmm. but he enforced the law. Now, 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 Joseph was caught in this where you do things uh, in a particular kind of way. And now Mary's condition throws him. He has to decide what he has to do. And then um, this radical interpretation of what it, he was part of a bigger whole here. Yeah. And, and did, does he respond? Because now his credibility is at stake. Mm. He's acting outside of the norm. But there was rationale given to it. There was understanding given. Mm. So, so he had a freedom to choose. Whereas what we do, and people don't, unfortunately, we don't think deeply. We enforce norms uh, upon people without explanation because that's the best way to keep people um, suppressed. Mm. Mm. No, uh, that, uh, it's, it's, it's vitally important. And it's also vitally important that I make this distinction. Um, the poor life choice I was referring to um, with Mary now being with child not from her betrothed and outside of marriage i am not i am not passing judgment on the act of of coitus outside of 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 marriage i am <laughs> reflecting on the act of 
actually falling pregnant from that. That was the poor life choice, <laughs> like the the uh, uh, at at the risk of 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 pearl clutching. Um, <laughs> you know, the pull out game should have been stronger. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> I just need to make that that distinction. But yeah, we we get trapped in all of these um, cultural kind of prisons. You know, and it was it was strange. So 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 the wedding I was at um, on Thursday, very very close friend of mine. Uh, it's his second wedding, um, and I think it was it's the bride's second wedding as well. Um, and they now she's over forty. He's swiftly approaching forty. Um, and in his in the groom's speech, so in my toast, I drew attention to the fact that. There was an uncon. It's an unconventional union, and the lessons we can learn from the lack of convention, because we are now kind of many people in the audience at the wedding who attended the wedding. This was the first time that they've encountered in their lives two divorced people sharing their love and. unifying their lives legally and then in his speech he referred to his new in-laws as mr and mrs and not mommy and daddy and this is something i've been criticized for in the past because i don't refer to my in-laws as mommy and daddy because i have parents well had (laughs) i still have in the greatest kind of identity uh but uh, you know they've passed on since. Um, where and and I shouted from <laughs> from the the floor and I was like, because everyone is like, oh, but you must not change. And I'm like, dude, don't bow to the pressure. And then even um, the the parents were like, no, you, there's no pressure to like change it. Um, and and at his his first in-laws, he referred to as mom and dad. And I I I had this moment where I was like, maybe we should normalize mature unions like maybe we should maybe we shouldn't be trying to marry kids off at like in their 20s when they don't know anything about life they haven't had they haven't lived enough to form a full understanding of the nuances that exist in the world they they are only sent out into society as full members with agency over their own lives with all of this cultural indoctrination all of this religious indoctrination and then enter into lifelong commitments massive legal commitments that cost tons of rands to get out of and like all the societal like kind of outcast vibes that happen um, when you now decide to go against what everyone has decided is the natural flow of life. Maybe getting married in your 20s isn't the best idea. Like I understand <laughs> it from a, from a societal perspective of like replacing humans, like making kids. <laughs> um, and if you are by the economic standing to support extra life <laughs> on the planet, you know, all the power to you. But yeah, we should we should be rethinking marriage. We should be reshaping our understanding of the way things are supposed to be. Well, a large amount of the I mean, a large amount of who I am probably is is what comes from the outside pouring into my life. And I now have to consider whether there's value in it for me or not at any given time of my life. When a couple is going through friendship and courtships and so on, Mm. that's, I think, where the groundwork can be done Mm. um, as they share the nature of their relationship. the the, the 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 thing about the maturity is also just how responsible 
you know you are behaving and sometimes people say and probably with good with good uh, reason that unless i have experienced the relationship or relationships to check out you know is this the person i would want i mean how do you know after a month six months a year 10 years mm. that this is the person that i wanted to be with because all of this is a discernment process yeah um as i said it starts with attraction and we explore the relationship but we must not lose our rationale we must not lose our reasoning we we need to discern um about our relationships and not just get caught into the uh thing about oh she's got a nice body or he's handsome mm. and all that kind of outward stuff because i think a lot of that um you, you know this maybe we should teach marriage before somebody even decides they must get married such as you know <laughs> i want to be as prisna by saying let's have betrothal betrothal um conversations <laughs> wow. you know if, if you are if you are in a relationship the church offers you um a cause in 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 you know looking at from your perspective and what the nature of the of the conversation if you enter into that conversation you have got to at least say i'm thinking of getting married to this person mm. uh, so i need to have mm. this conversation now before i actually get into 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 marriage yeah. or thinking about yeah. marriage you know what i mean but look people also have private lives yeah so when i get into yeah. a relationship my relationship is sealed off from the rest of the world mm-hmm. i cannot i'm i don't feel like i want to talk to my parents about it because at the same time i'm trying to work through this now again it depends on does it depend on my raising my, my raising didn't just happen with my mother and father mm. we were raised mm. by the wider community yeah church school neighborhood and, and all of that influences on our, our lives but i think there's there's a necessity for a platform of conversation before i think of marriage before i you know when when i think that i've done two years is it now time to have a more serious conversation before the contemplation of marriage mm. i remember um, in reading a book in in trying to inform myself how do you teach pre marriage a course how what what do you how do you counsel people before who said yes i'm this is my date now i need a conversation in preparing myself for what i'm going in for mm. and so mm. this particular um Walter Trobish he wrote the book and he um counseled couples and this one couple came to him and the first question he asked the couple was um have you argued with each other already mm. and and mm. if you said no then he would say go and argue mm. and once you sorted out what how you get through your arguments with one another the differences in your mindset or the things that you do then you come back and we can talk about marriage mm. there was a very interesting approach that he had mm. given so i think a lot of the time uh, we uh, we we only we only want to think of marriage as marriage bliss yes um, <laughs> and we forget that there's other things like for example how does a, a, a man in good standing um consider a pregnant girlfriend betrothed person um whose child who's, who ha- who is with child but he knows he never had uh, any relationship with a that would cause that mm. how you know how um and there is that kind of stigmatization in 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 the communities yeah um you know two people who had a previous marriage now in marriage again we in the anglican church have i think one of the most beautiful pastoral conversations which is canon 34 let's talk through where you've come from mm. and how you know when you enter into this second marriage that your preparation is that you've worked through some of the painful stuff yeah uh, that you you know you're not going to now transfer into the new the new person because that can easily happen mm. um 
And so I think for me, it's a very important conversation to have before they, they get married. But now you come, a, a situation comes and says, I'm going to get married, but she's pregnant with somebody else's child. Mm. Um, how, you know, how do you deal with that? Do you discourage them from marriage? So it's this whole conversation, I think, is an important one. We need conversations. We need open conversations. We need honest conversations um, about about these things uh, because there's impact in Mm. the future. I mean, I'm also thinking about, you know, the wisdom of marriage contracts. Yeah. We have to ask people by what contract will you be married? Now, the contract is got nothing to do with marriage per se, in my view. It's got to do with when a divorce happens. So yes. already mm-hmm. we're implying that these people have to consider that if they end up in a divorce court, their contract of marriage will determine many things. But you must I have no an exit strategy in every yeah, I, single situation, in love, <laughs> in business, in life, you must have an exit strategy. So I always, I am now of the opinion that I, I can't, I, that's why I have a conversation with them. I don't, I can't say what contact they must be. I hmm. give them what my understanding of the three in our country is. But the wisdom of modern day within community no longer works. Yeah. Because people are in businesses, people are doctors, uh, all of that kind of things. And, you know, why would people want to suffer the loss of one party walking away with a million and the other party walking away with nothing? Mm. So so really, these are things we have to continue to think through. Every cultural norm. I mean, I'm sure there are many theses written about the gospel and culture. Mm. And, and one wonders, you know, why those two concepts are needing to have a conversation with one another. Um, what does culture do to the gospel and what does the gospel do to, to culture? And are the two really separate or are they intermingled? Um, for me, conversations are truly important, creating platforms where people can talk through what they're thinking, what they're feeling, mm-hmm. how they understand it. Because look, a large amount of the time when you say, uh, come and share my life with me as I seek to share your life with you, and we do this in marriage, mm-hmm. we are not thinking about present things. We're thinking about future. Mm-hmm. You know, We're not going back to the past. We are saying we are planning for our future yeah. together. And now, how do you plan for a future you don't know? Mm. But I, I think it all it all stems from this this idea uh, that that kind of uh, Paul touches on in in the Romans passage, uh, which is chapter one verses one to seven, um, where it's like he goes about the the good news was promised long ago by God through his prophets as written in the holy scriptures so like straight off the bat this is propaganda this is christian propaganda this is someone using a letter to spread a very specific idea of culture you know this is someone laying down like listen how he lays the foundation of his argument The good news was promised long ago by God through his prophets as written in the Holy Scriptures. It is about his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as to his humanity. He was born a descendant of David as to his divine holiness. He has shown with great power to to be the son of God by being raised from the death. So there he's laying down. It's like this is the fundamental of the of this belief this is why you should believe this because they are these made up (laughs) um, stories of the the showing of the power that i am now just delivering as fact even though i have no personal knowledge of it this is propaganda through him god gave me the privilege of being an apostle for the sake of christ in order to lead people of all nations to believe and obey. So how did God give you this, Paul? Um, you <laughs> you told us the story of your road to Damascus, uh, but no one was there to witness it, bro. And now you're just delivering it as fact. So like, if you go back to like Mein Kampf, if you read um, 
like it's a hot topic. Obviously, it has been uh, towards the end of the year because of Kanye West's praising of Hitler. If you look at how the Nazis spread their message, this is the playbook. <laughs> when someone is serving, if when someone is trying to get your buy-in on an emotional level to a certain way of thinking, this is how they are going to do it. This is how they do it. This is the basic playbook of propaganda. This also includes you who are in Rome. So now he's welcoming you into this glorious world that he has created. Who are in Rome, whom God has called to belong to Jesus Christ. So, if you have this understanding, this cultural belief that has been drilled into you through hours of sitting in church pews, reading toxic things like, like Paul and not understanding it as being like full-on propaganda, um, you believe that you had no agency in your Christian faith. You were chosen to be a Christian. No, you chose Christianity. You choose God. God doesn't choose you. The way you decide to worship is your decision. And when you have that maturity of understanding of your relation to your faith, I think that's a good point to start exploring the nature and the fundamentals of that faith. Your response, sir. <laughs> um are are we are we believers by by nature or by nurture or or is it both mm, good good response and um so when you talk about uh, this being propagation i would say when i look at the words the the good news and I look at the words as written in the Holy Scriptures. At that particular time, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we would know it, was the the the, the um, was the text of the day. The community that had emigrated into Rome. Um, of, of the people who uh, whom Paul was writing to had now entered into a into a cultural setting that was different to their own mm. and obviously in that cultural setting there would be religions or uh, uh, other religious faith-based uh, communities um, how how was Paul going to encourage them in the fact that they had found faith in Jesus Christ and the sense of of calling uh, to to be part of the body, you know, called to belong to Jesus or the body of Jesus Christ, which we understand to be the church. Mm. And what was their source of 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 inspiration? What how would they interpret their lives in the new context? What would be the basis thereof? Mm. Um, when you immigrate from where you are to another context, does that context change who you are or are there important things you have to hold on to in order to interpret the new context to say how you will be engaging them and from what premise you're going to engage them? All of us have, have, been, have been nurtured from a childhood. Um, uh, about, for example, we were all taught how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Hence, yes. we all know that we may not have been taught what that prayer meant, uh, but but we were taught to pray it, and we we can recite it by route without any problem. So I certainly think this was Paul's own reflection, um, and having reflected, he then speaks to it in the way that he does. Mm. Now, mm. does the year I have a choice to say, Paul, I don't agree with you there. Paul, I do agree with you there. Look, we don't know how this community responded. Yeah. There's no, I, don't, I don't know about a record of it. 
But I'm part of the current community that would read this and see in this something that we need to listen to, something that we need to be engaged by, um, something that we need to say, well, certainly what Paul is saying um, does resonate with where my belief system is. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, I have no, no problem in disagreeing with you and saying, um, I, I choose God because God has chosen me, mm. but not exclusively me, because God, God has chosen humanity. God has chosen the world. Desmond Tutu in the apartheid era often would say, uh, God has a bias towards the sinners. Um, was his was a theme that he had had, had spoken. I, I I embrace that. As we said much earlier, I said, um, love begets love. Mm. So does do, does my understanding. Uh, it, it goes right to the very point of my birth. You know, did my parents choose me? They didn't even know I was coming out in the way I was coming out, but I was conceived. Mm. And whoever they received, they took responsibility for uh, mm. in, in, in what's his name. So now you get people who would reflect on all of that, um, you know, the mystery of birth and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, well, why, let's take it why? a step back. Though. Can I just, can yeah. I just, can I just finish my sentence? If you don't mind. So, so then they put outcomes Rodney, right? Yeah. The next child is not a Rodney. It's mm. a Daryl. Twelve years later, it's not a Rodney or a Daryl. It's a Denise. Yeah. Um, and now they raise us as the as we raised we our personalities are discovered. Our responses to what you're saying and to who you are is being developed. Mm. Uh, the level of maturity to where I come into my own. Um, and then I look at texts like this and say, does it give meaning to me? Is it the good news as Paul spoke about? And why is good news important to me? Mm. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Firstly, um, I love the the, the actual cadence of of your names as as siblings and I, I would have loved to speak to your parents about their, their choices around like the hard consonants um the Rodney the Daryl the Denise there's a there's a art there's a beautiful uh, literary cadence uh, with within those um <laughs> but besides for that uh, like again I'm I'm a word nerd so I approach um this this passage right as someone who understands or at least seeks to understand language and the 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 importance of language as a form of communication and who has spent the last five years of his life weaponizing communication um, for marketing practices. Right. So I, I, I look at this and I'm like, cool, what are you selling me? Because you're using words that sound like you're selling me something and then i start analyzing it from like cool how are you positioning your product um so straight up top uh the good news was promised long ago by god so if i'm in a pitch meeting i'm trying to convince a business to take my services and pay me this is what i'm doing i'm sketching the scene I'm showing you how we exist together and then showing you the benefits of that coexistence. Um, so like from a literary technique uh, perspective, that's what it is. Um, and you must be mindful of this in all con communications that is targeted at you as a person who's not like person to even person to person communication. Um, someone's always trying to sell you something. The moment you are asked to change your mind, the expectation is that you change your mind, that you buy into somebody else's ideas. They're selling you something and you should be mindful of this. The other thing is, with the way you pitched the birth thing, birth is a consequence of sex. You can't have a baby without 
making the decision to have intimate relations. And I think we also need to reframe that idea. It's like, yes, your parents didn't choose you, the person who is Rodney now, but they chose to do the deed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And 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 yeah, I, I don't think enough emphasis is 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 put on that. And yeah, like I I, I obviously because I'm an agnostic, uh, because I've I've <laughs> learned too much of of the of the ways of the world um, to accept a Bible as 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 having any bearing on my life, having having any privilege um, to dictate the way I live my life. I immediately reject this idea of of being chosen, you know, just like women should immediately reject the idea of of that 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 excitement of being asked to be married to somebody, you know. No, you can decide who you want to marry. Like you shouldn't live your life waiting for someone to ask you. You should live your life trying to figure out first whether you really want to be married and then deciding on like the type of partner you want. And that is where I will leave you this week. Um, I'm sure uh, the, 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 the good Archdeacon has quite a bit to say to that. But thank you very much for listening. And from my side, um, all the choice passages are in the podcast description as usual. Your response, sir. So, the first thing I would like to say is um, is the word, you, you kept using the word chosen. Yes. Um, in, the, in the context of the Romans passage, the word chosen and called are, are used. Mm. Um, and um, having having been in ministry now for 39 years, the, the sense of call, vocation, mm. is, is interesting for me, always interesting for me. Um, and it never ceases to be because every context that I enter into, a pastoral situation, whatever it is, my um, a situation arising without my what's his name? What am I called to do there? What am I mm. called to be there? How do I discern my role? Um, you know, why did this thing cross my mind, cross my path? Sorry, that I'm having to engage it at this moment. So, uh, is chosen and called interplayed? Is mm. the is the main word for me? Called as Paul has three times there, one time related to the word chosen. And I think, you know, um, um, the, I, 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 I found uh, this interesting that many years ago, we were, we, I, was, I was encountered by this story about, you know, people who believe God or don't believe God. And the, and the, the story was told about um, an astronaut from a Russian perspective, you know, Russians are communists, so they don't believe in God, kind of thing. Which I mean, I'm I uh, probably bought in because I was naive to understand to uh, to to misunderstand what communism was. Yeah. In terms of its propagation, let me use yeah. that word. And then um, the story goes about this astronaut had went up into the heavens, and then he came down and he met a monk uh, priest. And said, you know, Father, I've been I've been up to the heavens and I haven't seen God up there. So therefore, based on that experience, I don't believe in God. And then uh, the the monk's reply was, "Don't worry about that, my son. God believes in you." So so that was the story told. And remember, I was young and naive. Yeah. I haven't gone yeah. into the whole nuances, but I'd like to conclude with this, if you don't mind. Okay. I have. Um, I'm part of the church, the South African Churches Western Cape, and there's just been a Bible study produced by Dr. Miranda Pillay, who's retired uh, from teaching at Western, uh, the University of Western Cape, and she's she has actually um, based this on gender-based issues, uh, remembering community. It's called towards unconditional inclusion of LGBTQI 
A plus members. I just wanted to read to you this in my in my second uh, conclude, concluding point to what you had earlier said. Mm. Uh, mm. Professor Charlene van der Walt writes this in the forward. A people of faith in the Christian tradition, we, as people of faith in the Christian tradition, we believe, confess, and find comfort in the fact that the Bible is a source of life that guides our lives and makes possible our community. We believe that God inspired people to co-create a collection of perspectives in a variety of forms and styles that speak to God's involvement with humanity. God's love and accompaniment of people, God's care for the earth and all that inhabit it. We believe that the Bible is foundational to our faith and our community and fundamentally informs how we envision a good life together. Um, and uh, that speaks to the theme that I chose for this week, but also, you know, my part of my response to is the Bible propaganda. Mm. Thank you very much, Lindsay. I just want people to be more intentional. You are not responding to a call, you are finding your intention in your response. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Father. Love to the family. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>